Thank you. Please do take your seats. I like the idea of the living water that's running through my belly. That's amazing. Wow. The Holy Spirit. So we begin chapter two. Began in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. And this was almost four months after Nehemiah had heard this heartbreaking news about the state of Jerusalem and the walls. And he had faithfully waited on God, fasting and praying day and night. But it's interesting to note, because actually in verse 11 in chapter 1, he actually asked God to give him favour today. (laughs) So he didn't realise he was going to be waiting four months. He actually asked God to grant him that favour today. And we're a bit like that. You know, we want the God of the immediate to grant our prayer request today. But still, Nehemiah persevered in prayer. He waited on God. He aligned himself with God's people. He stood in the gap and he interceded. And actually, over a hundred years before, the prophet Ezekiel was faced with the same problem, the broken wall of Jerusalem. And Ezekiel declared the word of the Lord to God's people. Ezekiel said, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. On behalf of the land, but I found no one. How terrible is that? That Ezekiel said that God could find nobody who was willing to build up the wall and stand in the gap and pray. And we need to be willing to build up the wall. The wall is the kingdom of God. And we need to be willing to stand in the gap and pray to make ourselves vulnerable and let God break our hearts for the things that break his. And it's not always going to be comfortable. But isn't our purpose here on earth to continue the work of Jesus and to see God's kingdom come in our own lives and the lives of our family, our community, our nation, the world? After all, Jesus stood in the gap for us. And he gave us everything. And we don't have to build a wall alone. We just have to stand in front of God and say, I am willing to pray for whatever or whoever you put on my heart. That first step is always to be willing and to intentionally put time aside to be with God. Now you might find it easier doing this with others But don't forfeit time with God on your own. And we have a group of three lovely ladies who stand in the gap and they meet most Wednesday lunchtime here at St. Matthew's and they pray. They pray for this church, for this community and we thank God for them. And if you want to hear more about those three lovely ladies, they are Jan, Andrea and Mary, you can go and talk to them. The great revival in the Scottish Hebrides began because of the faithful prayers of two elderly sisters. One was blind and one was arthritic, so they could no longer actually get to church. But they kept praying for God to come to their islands and he came in great power. And I shared last week about my own experience with the street pastors at Reading Festival And the sadness that brought me, the stark realisation what our young people are being exposed to. And it broke my heart. And several people came forward afterwards to partner with me in prayer. 
And I have to confess, since then, um, I haven't done a great deal of praying about this. I get very easily distracted and lose focus, even when God puts something on my heart. And it can be difficult sometimes if it's something that doesn't directly affect us. But we need to keep spending time with God and encouraging one another. So coming together to pray for a specific thing can be very powerful and it can help us remain on track. The newly converted William Booth, who would later become the founder of the Salvation Army, he was devastated when at the close of his apprenticeship, he found it impossible to get work in Nottingham. He was completely mystified why the Lord did not answer his persistent prayer because he was willing to do work of any kind. His widowed mother urgently needed his help, but for a full year his prayer was unanswered. But God knew that in those 12 months that he spent in poverty, it would help him to later identify with the deprived people in many parts of the world. Waiting time is not wasted. It is a time of preparation. And Esther, you may recall, had 12 months of preparation, beautification, before she met the king and was chosen to be his queen and ultimately to save her people. And only God knows when the time is right. So back to Nehemiah. He'd asked God for favor with King Artaxerxes, and after persevering in prayer for four months, his request was granted. And being the cupbearer, he had bought the king his wine that day, and the king had noticed he was, we read, sad in his presence. The weight of the burden Nehemiah felt for his people and for their holy city was so immense he could not hide it. He was very afraid but he was prepared to be vulnerable, to be real in front of the king. And the king was the most powerful man in the country. The king held the power of life and death in his hands. And Nehemiah explains to the king that this sadness is because the city of his ancestors is in ruins. And the king says to him, what is it you want? And this reminded me of Jesus Because Jesus asked people a similar question, and I think he asked us the question today. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man, Bartimaeus, told Jesus, well, I I want to see, and his sight was restored. The sons of Zebedee, however, James and John, they said to Jesus, we want to sit on your right and on your left in glory. And thankfully, Jesus did not grant that request. Instead, he said to them, you have no idea what you are asking for. And a lot of the time, I wonder when I pray if Jesus is saying the same thing to me. You have no idea what you are asking for. Now, when the king asked Nehemiah this question, what is it you want? Nehemiah asked God. He asked God to give him the answer. What a wise man. We need to go to God first. This also, if you like, shows another vital aspect of prayer. The immediacy of prayer. The intimacy of prayer. That arrow prayer that says, help God, I don't know what to say now. So we need to ask God what to ask for. 
for often we do not know what we need. But God does. And the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Rome, he said, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And the Holy Spirit is the most wonderful gift of God to us. He is our helper. He is the power of the Godhead living in us. He is the, what was it, belly, the living water in my belly, in our bellies. The little book of Jude, a little book in the Bible, says, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. And if we are to learn from Nehemiah, then asking God what to say and expecting an answer, it comes out of, it comes out of relationship. It comes out of spending time with God, reading his word, learning to recognize his voice and listening to what he has to say to us. Jesus said in John's gospel, my sheep, that's us, all of us, not just some of us, that's all of us, we are all his sheep. My sheep will listen and they will recognize my voice. That is the most incredible truth that the God of the whole universe says we will recognize his voice. But we, don't, we won't recognize it if we don't know him and we don't spend time with him. Nehemiah listened and he recognized God's voice and he received some very clear directions from the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I actually find re- listening um, quite hard, really hard. You may have noticed I like to talk, so I have to really discipline myself. And when I'm talking to God, the most helpful way I find to listen is journaling. I journal my conversations with him. So I ask God a question, and then I write down what comes to mind. But a word of caution, we are called to test everything and to hold on to what is good. So having listened to God for his wisdom, Nehemiah then asked the king to send him back to Judah to rebuild the city of his ancestors. And I'm always amazed how God works to bring about his will through people like King Artaxerxes, who didn't even know God. You know, God can speak through anyone or anything. God is God. And Nehemiah's time of waiting on God had prepared him It had prepared him so that he knew how long to ask for. He knew how long the project was going to take and the timing of the project. He knew to ask for the right things for the journey, for a letter of safe passage, for a letter of provision for the timber, because they would need timber to rebuild the gates and to build a residence for Nehemiah to stay in, because this wasn't going to be a quick trip. And Nehemiah acknowledges that it is because God's hand was on him that the king granted his request. Do we give God all the glory when our prayers are answered, especially when it's out of our time frame? Perhaps we even forgot we asked God in the first place. And it's so easy sometimes to rationalize things away and give the glory to man rather than to God. 
In verse 10, we read about the dastardly Sanballite, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, governors, officials of Persia, who were not at all happy that Nehemiah was coming to promote the well-being of the Israelites. The Horonites and the Ammonites had been driven out of the promised land by God generations before, so they were not very fond of his people, and they certainly didn't wish them well. In fact, they felt quite threatened by them as a, I think they felt perhaps they might build themselves up and then be a threat to their future security. And there is no change today. The enemy uses every opportunity to make sure the well-being of the people of God is attested. So Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, and this is the first time in his life he's ever been to Jerusalem. And what does he do? He rests for three days. Rest is so important, and it was modeled by Jesus, and he urged us, his disciples, to do the same thing. And I'm so grateful for rest. Pads and I, Thursday is our day off, and we always try and rest on a Thursday. And at this point, Nehemiah had not shared anything God had put on his heart. He was waiting for the right moment. Do you wait for the right moment to share things with people? I usually don't. I get very excited when God puts something on my heart and my impulsive side comes out and I immediately want to share it before checking out with God if actually this is the right time. And the result is I sometimes feel deflated because they don't share my enthusiasm or perhaps I wasn't hearing from God in the first place. And I've always been amazed how Mary, the mother of Jesus, she treasured all the things God had shown her and she pondered on them. So I need to practice some pondering. Now like Mary, Nehemiah did not share what God had put on his heart because it wasn't safe to. We read in verse 12 that he set out at night to inspect the walls, which is not an obvious time to inspect building repairs, but he was aware he had enemies and there would be opposition to the restoration of Jerusalem, just as there had been opposition before under the leadership of Zerubbabel and then Ezra. And we too can expect opposition from the enemy. And we need to put on the armour of God so that we can stand firm in our faith. After Nehemiah had finished his inspection, only then did he tell the Jews and the priests and the nobles and officials how God's hand had been upon him and how God had granted him favour with the king. He gives his testimony and testimony is powerful. So it's all about God's timing and allowing God to prepare the way. Because it was God's timing, the people were then ready to receive the word of God. And they immediately said, let us start rebuilding. And they began the good work. And Paul said to the church in Ephesus that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
Obviously, Sambalite, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite had not heard that, and they weren't interested anyway. And they are now joined by another enemy of the people, Geshem the Arab. And when they hear about the restoration, they mock and ridicule them, and suggested they were rebelling against the king. They tried to sow fear in the people. Rebelling against the king? That would have carried the death penalty. And the enemy always tries to scare us so we don't complete what God has put on our hearts. And one of the ways he comes again and again at me, and I'm sure at all of us, is the fear of man. The fear of not being accepted. Yet the Apostle Paul says to the Philippians, be confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And we fight back against the devil. We fight back with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we can tell him that actually God has begun a good work in us and he will bring it through to completion. So you can get stuffed. (laughs) Nehemiah is so determined and courageous He's like those first disciples in the book of Acts when they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they defy the enemy. Nehemiah says to them, the God of heaven will give us success and you will have no share in Jerusalem. In other words, you will have no share in the kingdom of God. Powerful, prophetic words from a man who walked in close relationship with God And that's where we need to be walking in close relationship with God. Because God will overcome our enemies. If we are walking in his will, his plans will succeed. The prophet Isaiah said, for the Lord Almighty has purposed and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out and who can turn him back? The prophet Isaiah also said, You are chosen and I have called you by name. Do you know you are called by name to do these good works that God has called you to do? So what plans do you have? Have you submitted them to the Lord? Are they his plans? Because if they are his plans, nothing will stop them from succeeding. They might look a little bit different to perhaps what you thought God originally gave you. Again, Isaiah said, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so God's ways are higher than your ways and God's thoughts higher than your thoughts. Have you abandoned your dreams maybe? Maybe because your prayers were unanswered, you thought, well, maybe I was wrong. Or maybe when you inspected the walls, it all looked rather overwhelming and there was no one there to support you perhaps people mocked and ridiculed your ideas and the enemy just kiboshed your plans it could be something as simple as befriending someone who others struggle with and then someone put you off that idea so you're now questioning well was that God May I suggest you revisit your plans with God and you share them with a trusted friend, a trusted believer. As for me, I know I need to uh, refocus 
and get a date in the diary and pray with my new prayer partners for our young people. Nehemiah and God's people began the work together. They trusted God to provide all that was needed and they were confident in God. Because it was God's plan, they knew that with God they would succeed. And we too, all of us, are called to work together to bring about God's kingdom in the places God has called us to be. To trust that it is God's plan and if it is God's plan, we will succeed in spite of adversity. And help is at hand. We have the Bible, which is God's word to us. We have the Holy Spirit to guide and empower us. And we have one another because together we are the body of Christ. As Paul the Apostle said to the church in Thessalonica, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that with you our plans will succeed and I pray that you would stir up, Lord, all the things that, all your plans, Lord, stir them up in our hearts, in our minds. Help us to draw near to you and to know that you are good, that you have chosen us, that you've called us by name, that you have prepared work for us, Lord, and that with you we will overcome all adversity and that together, Lord, we are your people. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.